Our scripture readings for today come from the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. First, from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. And then from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, help us to understand you as our Savior in this service. Lord, help us to see why we need saving and give us the courage to turn to you for help. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. The angel introduced Jesus as Savior. But why do we need saving? What is so wrong with us that it would prompt the God of the universe, the creator of worlds, to come pay an in-person visit to us? What is so bad about us that caused God Almighty to put on human skin? Well, let's think about it. Our, our number one responsibility in life is to love. The entirety of God's message to people is that we are to love God with all that we have, with all that is within us, and we are to love our neighbors. We are to love one another as we love ourselves. That's the entire biblical message, really, to love God and to love others. Well, let's take a look around. How are we doing? Uh, you'll notice pretty quickly that we're failing on too many accounts. Uh, look at the, the hatred, the anger, the divisiveness in our culture. Uh, look at the despair, the loneliness. There's so, many, uh, there's so much evidence of pain all around us, pain that we've had a part in causing that we, we know that we've not followed that great commandment as we should have. Our failure to love is destroying us. The Bible calls that failure sin. Jesus came to save us from that sin. Now I've got to admit when I was a kid, I took a very transactional view of salvation. Uh, it was, what can I do and what can I get out of it? Uh, very early on, I heard about heaven and hell and, and uh, you know, reward and punishment. And well, it didn't take a rocket scientist for me to figure out that, uh, that the reward was better than the punishment. And so I was a lot like the thief on the cross. You remember when Jesus was crucified, he was hanged between two thieves and one of them uh, in his final hours on earth turned to Jesus and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus' response was, truly, truly, this day you will be with me in paradise. 
Uh, so that seemed like a pretty good model for me that if we would follow Christ, then he would save us from destruction and would give us the reward. And so it's very transactional. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this offer to follow Christ and he's going to make sure I get the joy and not the bad stuff. And, uh, and I still believe, I still believe today that when we decide to follow Christ, that he does in fact deliver us from evil. That's our great hope that we have in the Christian faith. And so there's that transactional forgiveness is not wrong. It's just not complete. I began to learn later on as I grew up that forgiveness is not only transactional, it's also transformational. Jesus didn't come into the world just to save us from our sin. He came into the world to save us for a better life. It's not just about escape. It's about abundant living. That's God's dream for us, God's hope for us. Uh, one of the stories that really reminds me of that in the Gospels is the story of the woman who was caught in adultery. The Pharisees wanted to trap Jesus and put him in an awkward position. They, they caught a, a woman in the very act of adultery and they brought her and all of her embarrassment, all of her shame, threw her down on the ground in front of Jesus and. And they said to him, Master, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses demanded that such as these be, be stoned to death, be executed. What do you say? Well, the Pharisees were not entirely fair in their depiction. The law of Moses says the man and the woman were to be stoned, not just the woman. It's, it's always struck me as odd that the male Pharisees somehow or another let the male adulterer get away and they just brought in the woman but that's perhaps a different sermon still they bring the woman in they throw her before jesus on the worst day of her life when she fears that her life may be in its final moments jesus has compassion he stoops down and writes in the dirt he stands back up and addresses the crowd that's all holding the rocks the one of you that is without sin, throw the first stone. And Jesus goes back to writing. Of course, nobody throws a rock. We're all guilty of sin. Jesus stands back up and says, Woman, where are your accusers? Did, did no one condemn you? And she says, No one, sir. And then Jesus says this. Now understand, Jesus has already, just right that moment, saved her from her sin. He has rescued her from her acts. He has saved her from the shame and the impending death. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus says. But he goes on. He doesn't just save her from that sin. He saves her for a better life. Next, he says to her, go and sin no more. Go and live a new kind of life, a life empowered and emboldened by the Holy Spirit so that you don't have to experience this kind of shame or threat to your life. Again, go and live in a new way. Go and live as a follower of God and Christ. That's, that's the promise that we have in our salvation. It's not just to save us from our sin, which God certainly does, but God empowers us to live a new kind of life, a life that represents the very image of God that's inside all of us. We can all actually expect to, dream to, hope to, grow up and be more like Jesus. And so uh, forgiveness is not just transactional. I confess and God forgives, it's transformational. 
I choose to follow Christ, and Christ shapes me on that potter's wheel into a work of art I never could have been on my own. That's part of the beauty. That's the transformational part of forgiveness. In the church, we call that sanctification. And it's a work that the Holy Spirit does in us throughout our whole lives. So that while we might have been saved years ago, today we are still being saved because the Holy Spirit is still working in us. But salvation is about far more than sin. I'm afraid the church has done a disservice to the world by spending all of our focus on sin. Uh, we're obsessed with sin, but we neglect the rest of what is involved in salvation. There's so much more to it. The Greek word that's used in Matthew for to save, the Greek word for save is sozo. And it certainly does mean to save, but it, it carries a much richer meaning. It also includes health, healing, wholeness. It's the whole picture. Um, Jesus doesn't just care about rescuing us from our sins. He does that. But he's also concerned about the rest of our lives. Jesus loves our emotions. He loves our minds. He loves our bodies. He loves the whole package. And uh, when we limit salvation to just deliverance from sin, we miss out on so much of the blessing. That, now, we preachers sometimes... Uh, we preachers sometimes are guilty of trying to save your soul and won't let your body go to hell. But Jesus loves everything. Jesus loves our entire life. Uh, we, we don't need to lose that. I'm, I'm reminded of the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, Jesus and the disciples are walking through that forbidden land of Samaria. Uh, it's about lunchtime. Jesus sends the disciples for takeout, but he stays back by the well. And this Samaritan woman approaches a well in the middle of the day in the scorching heat alone to draw her water. Now, there's a reason why she's alone. And in the first century, women typically did gather the water, but they'd do it either early in the morning when it was cool, or they would do it late in the evening when it was cool, or maybe both. And it would almost always come in groups. It was a social time, a social gathering where the women would share lives with one another and build friendships. It was you always went with someone to the well to build that relationship. But this woman has come to the well in the middle of the day in the scorching heat all alone. And Jesus knows why. He tells us. She's all alone because nobody likes her. Nobody wants to be with her. She's the outcast. She's the woman around town that everybody talks about. Conversation ensues. Jesus actually speaks to her. Jesus invites her into a conversation, even asks for her help, completely unheard of, unimaginable. She's shocked. She can't believe he's talking to her. But as the conversation goes on, Jesus reveals to the woman what he knows about her, the, the reason that she's an outcast in town. She's been married and divorced five times, and she's now living with a man to whom she's not married. Nobody in town liked her, with the possible exception of the man that she's living with now. But Jesus, Jesus likes her. Jesus welcomes her. Jesus loves her. Jesus begins this relationship with her. In fact, she runs away from the well back to her back to her village, and she announces to everybody, to everybody that hated her, she announced, I found a man who told me everything I've ever done. And he loved her anyway. 
Wow, what a gift. That's what I want for Christmas. You know, more than anything else, the idea that I could be loved in spite of everything I've ever done. Because I worry sometimes deep down inside, maybe you do too, that if other people knew who I really was, if other people knew everything about me, if they knew me on my worst day, well, they wouldn't like me. They'd run away from me. You ever felt that way? It's a, it's a common fear that if, if our polished outward life were to ever get pulled back and people can see who we really are, that they would they'd run for the hills, that we would be like that Samaritan woman and outcast in our own community. That kind of fear can isolate us. It can lead us to despair. It can even lead to the point where we might take our own lives. When we think that who we really are deep down inside is not valuable to the world around us, we lose our reason to live. And so Jesus speaks to this Samaritan woman and he speaks to us and he says, I value you. You are important to me. I care for you. On your worst day, you are valuable to me. That's part of what salvation looks like. That's part of the Savior that Jesus came to be for us. Jesus came to save and to heal our emotions. And that's the ministry of the church too. I want you to know, wherever you are, whatever you've done, whatever you're going through, that Jesus cares about you. Jesus loves you. And we do too. We really do. You give us a chance to show it. We'll pray. So of course, healing is not... It definitely includes the emotions and mental health. I'm ashamed to say that the church in our community has not done enough with mental health. We need to do better. We, we need to be more proactive in taking care of people in those ways. But healing, of course, also extends to the body. Everywhere Jesus went, he healed people. He healed paralytics and lepers. He healed the blind and all sorts of others. Everywhere he was constantly in this ministry of healing and restoring bodies to wholeness. The church should share in that ministry. For most of our history, we have. For most of our history, the church has been uh, really involved in healing ministries. As, as of late, we've been pushed aside more and more. I've got to confess to you that it bothers me somewhat that here in the midst of the worst health crisis of the last hundred years, the church has been largely on the sideline. Largely, it's been left to the healthcare professionals, and we, de we definitely need them. We need to trust them, we need to support them, we need to pray for them, but I would offer to you that the church still has a place in healing as well. The church still has a vital role that we don't need to advocate to others. It, it was the Apostle James who said, are there any among you sick? Let them call for the elders of the church and they will anoint them with oil and lay hands on them and the prayer offered in faith shall heal. You see, we, we still, we've always had, we continue to have a healing ministry. Now it's not magic, I can't tell you why it works sometimes, why it doesn't seem to work others, but as long as there's sick people, I'll be praying for sick people, anointing sick people with oil because I believe that God still heals. And so, I pray that God will bring the church back into healing ministry, that we would rediscover the power of prayer, not only to change emotions and spirits, but to change physical health as well. 
Then finally, of course, our greatest enemy is death. That's a doorway that all of us have to go through eventually. But Jesus offers salvation even from that. Jesus gives us salvation even over death. Uh, in fact, the Apostle Paul was so convinced of it that he, he kind of taunted death in the grave. He said, come on, death, where is your victory? Come on, grave, where is your sting? That Jesus has saved us even from those. The story of Lazarus always reminds me of that fact. Lazarus was a good friend of Jesus, and uh, Jesus was out of town when Lazarus got sick. They tried to get him to come home and, and do his healing thing, but Jesus delayed. He didn't come. He got there late. By the time he arrived, Lazarus had been dead for four days. i got to be honest with you, Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, also friends of Jesus, they kind of went off on Jesus a little. They were sort of angry at him. If, if you had just come sooner, they told him, our brother would be alive. But Jesus says, uh, don't worry. Your brother will still live. And then he said this quote that, that I just live with. It's one of the great hopes of the Christian faith. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I'm the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. See, we have to go through that doorway of death, but we also know that there's life on the other side of that doorway. Now, we've lost a lot of folks lately. And I think back to our All Saints service just a few weeks ago, and the, the pain was real. All of the candles on our altar representing the lives of the saints who have passed our way. The pain has been real this year. Grief really does hurt. And it's okay that it hurts. It's okay that we grieve. But we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Because we know that Jesus conquered death. And because he lives, we will live also. That Jesus has come into the world to save us from our sin. To save us for a better way of living. To heal our emotions, to heal our bodies, and to deliver us even from death. I remember when my best friend died. The best friend I ever had in this life. He died at 19 years old. Uh... Melissa and I visited him in the hospital the day before he died. Of course, we didn't know at that point. We visited him in his room at UAB. We talked for a little while. And uh, as we left, I remember the last words I said to my friend in this life. And I said them intentionally, knowing that he may not survive this illness. With this, this illness. I said to him quite intentionally, See you later, buddy. And I will. I don't know when. But I know this life is not the end because Christ has conquered death. Because Jesus is alive, we do get to say to our loved ones who've gone before, see you later. Now we've covered a whole lot in this sermon in a short period of time. We've touched on a number of things anyway. Now I want to make you some very real offers. If you're troubled by the things that you've done, if you're carrying guilt about the sins that you've committed, then I want to invite you to confess. The Apostle John says that if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right, right now, right where you are, will you take a moment and confess your failure to love? 
and ask God to empower you to love more deeply. I would love the honor of talking with you and praying with you about it as well. Please feel free to get in touch with me. My email address will be on the screen. But you don't have to carry that burden of guilt any longer. Jesus saved you to set you free from it. Let's talk about it. We also touched on despair and even suicide. This time of year is especially tough for a lot of people. Our losses seem to be a little bit worse. Our burdens seem to be a little bit heavier for some reason. I want you to know you're not alone. If you feel alone, then I'm reaching out to you now, inviting you. I want you to know that Jesus cares for you. I care for you. This church cares for you. If you're feeling desperate, if you're feeling alone, then please, please, let's talk about it. Please allow us to try our best to shine the light of Christ's love into the dark places. A lot of folks obviously are struggling with health issues now. There's illness all around us, COVID-19, along with the usual illnesses that we have to deal with. You don't have to deal with those alone either. Let us know. Let us know how you're suffering. And you'll be on our prayer list, and we'll pray for you. We'll pray for you every day. And we believe that God works through prayer, that God changes things, that God changes health through the work of prayer. So share your struggles with us so that we can pray with you for God to be active in your life. The angel announced that a Savior was being born to us. A Savior has come to us to offer all of this, to offer health, forgiveness, freedom, a better life. I pray that today you will say yes to the Savior. Invite him in. Welcome him into your life. Amen.